Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A tough, tough loss for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, you kind of thought if they were going to stub their toe, it was going to be in a game they absolutely should have won. But who could have predicted Adam Gaudet, the guy that just kind of carved out the Canucks season a year ago when he was case zero in the COVID battle this team went through playoffs. And if you saw Adam Gaudet's celebration when he kind of waved to the fans and uh, kind of egged them on, oh, did it mean a lot to him. And the point loss certainly meant a lot to the Vancouver Canucks. Just Wow. Uh, you know, so many moments in this game wh- where it ebbed and flowed. This was as compelling a game. And kudos to the Ottawa Senators who had nothing to play for. But yet this team just keeps playing. Unlike the Arizona uh, Coyotes where, you know, you just know they were just going to mail it in. I- in this situation, you just, wow. Uh, you know, they just continue to play. And, you know, the Canucks were the second best team for the first half of this game. They were up 2 nothing. Uh, they, it was two one and, you know, it wasn't until around that point where they, where the Canucks finally woke up and started to play. They dominated the back end of the second period. And then they went down after a couple of early goals in the third and then dominated the rest of the way. And they had some chances. Did they ever have some chances? Travis Dermott scores to get this game into overtime. They had chances in overtime as well. Pedersen and Besser on the two on one. Besser can't get the shot off. Uh, Pedersen was off all night. I thought he kept missing the net repeatedly, but. Uh, you know, he's been so great during this run. You can't, uh, you, you certainly can't criticize Pedersen. And the goaltending drama, of which there's some postscript now, because Bruce Boudreaux said in his postgame availability, really interesting here, because we're trying to wrap our head around what exactly happened now. We all felt that the reason Spencer Martin got called up for an hour, essentially, is because Thatcher Demko was sick, and this bug has been going through the Canuck dressing room. Well, Boudreaux insisted after the game he was not sick, even dropped an F-bomb in the middle of it before he pulled that back and then said he could have played all along. So why was Spencer called up? Was it just precautionary? Was something up with Halak? And now Halak is not likely to go on the road trip because of the injury to what appeared to be his hand late in the first period. Didn't allow him to return in this game, and it doesn't look like he's going to be on the trip the rest of the way. So, so many storylines, but the bottom line is the Canucks pissed away a critical, critical point. And now there is no margin for error now. They must win out and still get a little bit of help. It feels over. It feels over. But it's not. that before. 
we've said it's it before. Also, it's, it's not over. I mean, I've been saying it all season, Farhan. Of course we've said it before. I say it every time we do an episode. But it's really not over. I mean, they get a point. You knew they were going to drop a point at some point, right? You knew they weren't going to win out the whole way. Um, 97 points. That's still their max. Uh, losing the regulation win hammer to L.A., who took care of business in Anaheim at the Honda Center. Uh, you know, that hurts, but it's not over. It's still not over. 97 points is their max. That still should be enough to get in. And so this team has to fight on. Now, there's so many plot lines to get into, and you didn't even get into one that I want to bring up to you because you... Patan in the shootout. That's the one. Well, I, well and, the, and the Pod Colson. Well, I, I want to do a whole bit on Pod Colson. Well, here, let's... I love let's, Pod Colson. Let's... Welcome everybody here. So thank you to those of you who've joined us for this post-game live VanCast. It's a format we really love and one we haven't done for a while, partly because I've been away. Uh, Today felt like a good day. We weren't sure if we were going to go yesterday or today. Um, I think if they'd lost yesterday, we might have gone. But we figured we wanted to wait until we had both games. That was just the better overall way to do it. And then we weren't sort of results dependent. So we're doing it tonight. We thank you for joining us. Here's how these work. Farhan and I will talk about the game we just watched. A thrilling 4-3 Vancouver Canucks over or shootout loss, excuse me, to the Ottawa Senators in the second leg of back-to-back. It's a massive loss for this team. A very costly point dropped as they race toward the playoffs with no margin for error. We're going to discuss that game at length. Then... We're going to do five burning topics. That's the segment I like to do on these. We bring up five burning topics and we talk those to death. And then we will open up the mic. You can see that you have a chat feature within this app space. So feel free to comment. We'll engage with you. We'll read your comments as we go. And then also you're able to raise your hand. And when you do that, it it sort of puts you in a queue that I'm able to see and I'll invite our listeners to the stage to have their say, ask questions, guide this conversation the way they want to. So once again, to all the VIPs who've joined us today, thank you for being here. That's how the sort of show will flow. And I want to start with, it's not a burning question, but I want to start with a reminder to my dear co-host, Farhan Lalji. Farhan, in December, during the Omicron wave, right? The Vancouver Canucks had a game on their schedule, well, two games on their schedule. One was against the New York Islanders, who had a Canadian road trip that ended up getting postponed, and the other was against the Ottawa Senators. There was no cross-border travel issues regarding that game. However, the game would have to be played in an empty building. Now, the Vancouver Canucks opted not to play that game. Do you recall this? And oh, yeah. Deeply critical. Of that Absolutely. decision because yeah, it cost them some preparation. Now. Right. Well, it would cost them some preparation going into that Florida road trip, which of course began 0-3 before they pulled out a couple of key wins in Washington and Nashville. And and resulted in them playing back to back tonight. A a costly win. And I just want to bring that up because you were banging your fist on the table saying, this is a mistake. This is unserious. This is an example of an organization overly prioritizing sort of, sort of money as opposed to what was in the best interests of the team. 
Um, I, well, also that's a take that looks good ways, today. Were, no, I know, but there were two ways to look at money. Was my point there, right? Like you help yourself in that moment, you help yourself with a more with a less compressed schedule today, right? Like you're more prepared for the start of that trip, you're less compressed today, and now the money that you gained today by having a full crowd, you compromised your ability to gain that dollar in the playoffs. It's a good point. It's a short term thinking and it, and it did bite them a little bit today. Now, in terms of the game, the thing that stands out to me the most Farhan is 3.58. Now, Vancouver generated 3.74 expected goals in this game, but they surrendered 3.58 expected goals. That's the highest number of 5 on 5 expected goals that they've surrendered with what tied with a game that they played in Los Angeles, a 2-1 loss regulation loss, right, you know, coming back from the Christmas Omicron break that the NHL took. So they'd had 10 days off. They played two games back to back. In the second of those, they got shelled, even if it didn't look like that on the scoreboard, because Thatcher Demko was at the time on an unholy heater. They matched that level of permissiveness. They've surrendered more five on five scoring chances, better five on five looks, than they've done in all but one games this season. And they did it against a Senators team that generated 14 shots against the Seattle Kraken on Monday. And in a game that they absolutely had to have in terms of their overall playoff chances, I was really impressed with moments that the Canucks strung together in this game. And yet when I consider what they allowed against this Ottawa Senators team, Man, did they not help their goaltenders who are going through a fair bit of their own drama over the course of this evening. Yeah, it's fair, especially when you when you take that and superimpose it against last night's game against the Dallas team, which is which is better than than Ottawa. Right. I mean, at least as far as the standings are concerned and, and what we believe them to be. I mean, Dallas is going to be in the playoffs. And when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at how well they played defensively in that game, you know, I think we both knew that it was going to be Halak to start today. But last night I kind of threw it out there, even though I felt it should be Halak, that do you revisit it only because Demko, just he didn't have to stand on his head. right? There was no moment yesterday where he had to make a five-alarm save or go through a sequence where he just kept this team in the game. So, you know, he relatively didn't have a crazy level of work. He, he, got, he got a lot more in two periods today tonight than he did in three periods yesterday it's a really good point he i mean i thought the first five minutes of that third period where the ottawa senators outshot them five to nothing and scored the game tying goal and then the go-ahead goal that was kind of the crucial moment like that was kind of it wasn't the game because the canucks tied it up and it wasn't the game because demko had a save to win it against drake batherson right i mean at that point of the game, you're at, you know, a 75% win probability, a 70% win probability. Um, but that felt like the essential moment. You know, the Canucks take the 2-0 lead, and then it, it played the rest of the first period like they thought it was going to be easy. And they came out that way in the second period and got dinged for it right away with an Alex Formanton deflection goal. Alex Formanton, by the way, uh, in, in addition to my new guy, Parker Kelly, Alex Formanton's like one of my old guys, right? Like one of those guys I've always, whose praises I've always sung. Huge game for him tonight. 
And after that, they played 15 minutes of absolutely scintillating, like, you know, hockey. Just the best that this team's played all season from an entertainment value perspective. Those latter 15 minutes in the second period were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So much fun to watch. Edge of your seat, riveting. And then they came out in the third and no shots for five shots against two goals against Tim Stutzla hits a post. Alex Formanton hits another post before the Canucks really get going. And it took a four on four for the Canucks to level the score. And that to me, you know, that's tough. Like that's got to be tough for the players in that room, for the coaches, for everybody to swallow, especially considering how, how much, this team has had to scrape and claw and scramble to give themselves a shot for it to, for it to, you know, not end, but for it to be seri- severely dinged like that against this team. Man, that's got to be a tough pill. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at it on form overall in this game, I mean, the Canucks had a, a significant lead or a significant edge in terms of uh, in terms of shot share, in terms of scoring chances, high danger scoring chances, all of it. But like you say, they gave up a lot, and there were moments where they needed to be woken up, right? And in the first period, you could get fooled by the two power play goals. Yes, I know the second wasn't exactly a power play, but it might as well have been. Five on five, they weren't, you know, Ottawa was the better team in the first period. And in the second period, once Ottawa got the first goal, it was at that moment, a couple minutes after that, the Canucks got a power play. And while they didn't score, it really allowed them, you know, they talk about it with your power play, at least allow it to build momentum, and it did that. And that's when that scintillating stretch you talked about and then once they fell down and you don't you shouldn't have to get to that point where you trail before you wake up but once they trailed man did they wake up and and it was entertaining they had their chances they should have done more um i want to i want to start with the goaltending and, and we've already started and i want to get into Pedersen in a minute and, as well, and a few other decisions as well but can can you put your finger on what was going on here as far as Spencer Martin is concerned and what was your takeaway from Demko's play, who came in in a difficult situation, you know, without, you know, your regular game day routine and everything else that you've got when you're going to start, uh, you know, you thought you'd have the night off and now you're playing 40 minutes. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is Demko. It's unfortunate for the Canucks that they had to use Demko tonight, particularly because they, you know, still have, I mean, Demko's now played two and two and he'll play, is it five more over the next 10? Right. So that's tough. I mean, that's, he's going to play, you know, and he played overtime and he played a shootout. So Halak was, Halak was pretty good. Halak was great. I thought Halak was really solid in a first period in the first period. So, you know, overall, how did Demko play? I thought he played fine. I don't think he was it by, you know, in a game where your defense is that permissive, this one's not on, Thatcher Demko by any means or stretch of the imagination, right? I mean, for me, that's evident. Um, you know, the Ottawa You can't Senators, blame him for any goal. You can't blame him for any goal. No, you can't. And the Ottawa Senators with Demko and Net, though, were worth, um, you know, 1.99 expected goals and, and actual retail value was three against. So, you know, it wasn't his best night, but I don't think it was his worst by any means. Um, I thought he played well. Uh, You know, the deflection goal. um, Yeah, I mean, I I think he made some saves. I think he made some saves. I think Demko played fine. And I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, the Halak injury, I assume, 
was a cut. Yeah, it had to. I was. I would assume it was a cut or something. It had to happen in then that scramble where he was favoring his uh, glove hand. Spencer Martin coming up and Thatcher Demko. I mean, that would that would seem to imply illness, but Boudreaux pushed back against that pretty hard today. So I'm not sure. I I just don't know. I I honestly just don't know. I I think I'll have to make some calls tomorrow and try and solve that riddle because we do. I you know I'd love to have some clarity on why Spencer Martin came up uh, for the day. And why he was sent back before, I mean, I know why he was sent back before the game. That's how emergency conditions work. But, you know, it seems like if there was any question about Demko's ability to sit on the bench as the backup, I mean, why, you know, if he was sick, like, why would you even let him back up? I mean, there's no, there's no purpose to it. So, you know, no, I don't quite have the full understanding of it. I assume that I'll, uh, I'll figure it out tomorrow morning. Uh, And obviously I'll let the VIPs know when I do, but. You know, I thought Demko was fine. I don't think goaltending was the difference in this game by any means. I thought Philip Gustafson, who has not had a good season, played pretty well, though, right? Like, I thought Ottawa got sturdy goaltending overall, even though the Canucks, you know, didn't take their chances, missed the net a ton. And that was going to happen. Like, this is the other thing, Farhan, right? You have to, you can't shoot 15% forever. You can't. It's the NHL. Like, over the course of the month, the Canucks were shooting... 14% 14% five on five. That means all the goalies they were shooting on were stopping, you know, were carrying a Philip Gustafson like 860 save percentage. That's not going to happen every night in the NHL. Like, even with goaltending being down, you, you know, these are NHL goalies. They're incredible. They're six foot five. They do calisthenics. Like, you know, they talk post integrations and they have all these techniques. They're basically six foot five Finnish martial artists. designed to eat rubber like they're incredible athletes and you're not going to shoot 14 percent forever you need to have that core solidity that allows you to overcome you know the the slings and arrows of outrageous hockey misfortune as i put it on twitter tonight right and when you live by the percentages you can die by them yeah what was the commentary yeah well he basically said that they had so many chances in that second period that when they didn't wind up scoring, and they also had that late power play, right? Um, that when they didn't wind up getting one, he just had a feeling it was going to bite him because you just can't keep going like that. He just felt that there were so many quality chances they had in the second period and they came up empty and, you know, they, like they missed the net a ton. Like Gustafson was okay, but they didn't force him to make any ridiculous saves. They just kept missing the net. They just kept missing the net. No question, especially on the power play, especially Elias Pettersson. And the Pettersson line in general was probably the worst culprit in terms of what was permitted defensively. I don't love the Dickinson fit up there. Yeah, but that's never going to be a long-term fit. You don't have a ton of options, right? So he's supposed to be a defensive player. He'd certainly look good in the last game offensively. So you've got to continue to roll him out there the second time. But like, what else are you going to do in that moment? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Boudreaux for it. Nick Patan, Sheldon Dries. We saw Sheldon Dries in overtime in this game. Yeah, what the I hell? mean, I, I, I would use Nick Sheldon Dries. Nick like Are you kidding me? No, I know, but uh, these guys that are marginal NHL players and they're playing high leverage minutes in overtime and getting an attempt in a shootout instead of Pod Colson. I know we're all over the map here. Let's stay with no, it's for fine. A well, well, let let's, me let's let me stay. quickly. I want to read a text from. I want to read a text from the chat from Sally H, who's one of my harshest critics, by the way. Um, it's been such a a bad year. Yeah, I know. It's been such a bad, it's been a bad year, but games like this really show you what's there under the hood, 
right? And I think that's a really good commentary because on the one hand, you have this team that can put together these moments of puck possession brilliance that sort of have you on the edge of your seat riveted. They feel inevitable in these moments. And then in others, you're like, they played Sheldon Dries in OT and Nick Patan in the shootout and have Jason Dickinson on their second line. And you can't even criticize those player deployment decisions because what else do they have? You know, Robin I think that's B, telling. Rob, Rob, Robin B, one of the one of uh, one of the others in the chat room here, says Bruce has had a lot of questionable deployment the last little while. I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I'm buying that because I think everything he's done has turned to gold. I mean, you only have to look at the last game. So first of all, Chase on gets elevated, and Chase on plays out of his mind. Then Chase on gets sick in the warm up. He bumps Garland up to the Miller line and brings Dickinson in with the Pedersen line. And he plays fantastic. And that line's on fire, right? Like, to me, I think every move he's made has turned out so well. Even the Halak decision today, with all the other cloak and dagger around it, we're not sure what it was. But in the first period, Halak was really, really good. I mean, truth be told, of the two goalies today, the Canucks dressed, he was probably the better one, right? And so it was the right decision to go with Halak. And again, not to say that Demko cost him the game, because that clearly didn't happen. But Halak was the right decision, both strategically, philosophically, and in practice. I think he's made a lot of right decisions, but then all of a sudden you see Dries out there in overtime and you see Patan in the shootout. And I know that they, they don't have Pearson and they don't have Horvat who've done it previously, but boy, as well as Pod Coles has been playing, roll him out there for a shootout attempt. It just seemed, it seemed tough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's actually transition to five burning questions and start with Pod Colson. And then we'll get into Pedersen a little bit too. So number number one. We're, we're doing the five. These are the five big topics. Number one, Vasily Podkolzin, watching Vasily Podkolzin learn how to play a heavy game and assert himself as this, you know, predatory power forward in big games at the NHL level is one of the most fun parts of this recent run of form from this team. True or false? Absolutely true. And you said at the beginning of the year, that it was going to take until Christmas, it was going to take until the All-Star break, but we were going to see signs of this by the end of the season. And for me, what's been remarkable is there has been no rookie wall. He just gets better. Yeah, and I kind of disagree with that in that I think he did hit a rookie wall. There were a couple of months there where he looked nothing like this, but tonight he was in the middle of everything. You know what you saw tonight? Like You saw why... Not just the Canucks, but other teams had Pod Colson, you know, some of them had him ahead of Zegras. The Canucks didn't on their draft day list. 
But most, a lot of teams, consensus, a lot of teams had him ahead of guys like Matt Boldy and Cole Caulfield, like guys who've already, uh, you know, shown a lot in this league as scoring talents. And why? Because of that heavy game, right? Like, what's harder to find in this league? A, a, a guy who can score on the perimeter or a guy who can play like Pod Colson did tonight. Like, he mixed it up. Even the go-ahead goal, his hands were all over that, right? Like, he's the guy who gets into the fracas that draws the, you know, incidental minors. And his uh, double minors rescinded on review, quite rightly, by Graham Skilleter. And, you know, boom. You've got a four on four. Who does that benefit? The trailing team. Like he even played effective jerk puck hockey tonight. But every time he was around the puck, you almost felt sorry for anyone else who was holding it. You know what I mean? Like one of those. Yeah. yeah. He's so scary without it that you almost think the team's going to just let him care, play with the puck when he's on the ice because no one wants that bearing down on them. That's amazing. That's the type of player this organization has not employed in a long, long time. No question. No, and, and, you know, and that's why, like, I kind of felt like just run him and, and let him go out there and take the shootout attempt. But the fact that this guy's playing in the final minute of the game tells you a lot. And just, you know, the faith that he's absolutely earned. And, you know, this is a guy that I think seeing the way he's finished this season makes me change what I think his ceiling could be. Because a lot of players, a lot of people felt that ultimately his ceiling was going to be like, you know, a third line player, maybe a middle six winger, right? But certainly a, a, an everyday NHLer. But I think this guy could be a much more significant piece of this organization if he continues to progress. And you know, it's not easy, yeah. right? There's always going to be there, a bit of an issue in the second year. There'll be a hiccup. There always is. We're seeing that with Hoaglander this year. But eventually, I think this guy could really, really be a complete player in the Canucks system. There's no reason he can't be a Jesse Pugliarvi or a Michael Bunting or, you know, one of those heavy press guys, by which I mean, not the guy who's driving the offense on a top line or a second line, but the guy who does the yeoman's work, the grunt work, the work that allows the elite skilled player to have the time and space they need to do what they do best. I see no reason he can't be that, um, you know, maybe not next year, but possibly next year, but certainly by the end of his entry level contract. I expect we're going to see a player who's an everyday top six caliber uh, contributor who who brings that to the table. All right, hot topic number two, okay? And it's going. I'm coming. Um, I'm coming right back to Pod Colson. Okay. Do the Canucks just not have better options, or was playing Dries in OT and Patan in the shootout a mistake? Yeah, you know what? I, it, as much as it's easy to criticize the names, when you look at the options, like give me the better one, Jason Matthew Highmore. Matthew Highmore. Well, at least in, at least in, in in OT, Matthew Highmore. They, they did it once before, and that was a disaster. At three on three. Yeah. Yeah, they did the Lamico Highmore thing, right? Yeah, and that didn't go well, right? Like they never got the puck. It ended. It ended fast. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think Sheldon Dries is more skilled then than Matthew Imore? No, but it just goes to show you that if you're if you're Bruce and that's in your mind the last time you played Matthew Highmore and you go and look down the bench and you're like, well, you know, he can, like he got off the ice quick. He wasn't out there long. So it was probably a case of, look, he'll at least be on the right side of the puck. He'll give us 40 seconds and he'll get off the ice. 
right? And and that's pretty yeah. much what it looked like. And when this game got to overtime and shootout, and look, the Canucks dominated possession in overtime, right? Yeah, I like liked I liked their game over, three on three. Look, they they dominated possession, but they didn't really generate a big time chance until that one two no. on one, and Besser got it on his back and he couldn't make the play. But when you look at it with what the with the roster is they're icing right now, they're at a disadvantage in in yeah. overtime and the shootout. They just are. Uh, just yeah, they are. You're right. You, you know what I mean? Like they needed to win it in regulation. That big push they had at the end. Myers hits the crossbar, right? Like in the final minute, it's all right there for them. If they if they get it there, that's what they needed to have it. Not from a standings perspective, but just in terms of a what they've got left on the roster, right? And and it's it's tough right now. It's slim pickings. And, you know, even when we talk about Pod Colson in the shootout, we're, none of us think that's a, a guaranteed option. We just think it might be the lesser of two evils. It's not like we've seen Pod Colson in a shootout before, right? So there, there just aren't a lot of them right now. And when they get to that point where it's a pure skills competition, they just don't have a lot of pure skill, like in terms of deep, you know, depth of pure skill, right? No, you're right. Um, all right. I've got a hot take for you, and then it dovetails into my third uh, big question. All right. The worst choice in the shootout, okay, was having Brock Besser shoot first. It wasn't going to Patan. It was having anybody but one of Miller or Pedersen be your first two shooters. Like, those guys are way above average shootout finishers. And by not going with them one, two, you create an opportunity where, you know, now it didn't matter because Pedersen didn't score, but you do create a situation where it's possible that the senators or either get an extra shot or that you have to, yeah, the the senators get an extra shot. You have to go with your best two shooters right off the hop. And I thought it was a mistake to go with Besser first, although I understand that Boudreaux is probably playing a hunch because here's burning topic number three. Brock Besser was far and away Vancouver's most dynamic offensive player tonight. He was. Yeah, he was. I, I think Pedersen kind of had an ordinary game, you know, for a player that is always accountable and understands what does and doesn't matter right now, that all the points, 14 points in seven games, and everything he's done since the All-Star break, if they don't continue to move forward here, it's kind of trivial at this point. He He's the first to say that. He didn't play well, and I almost wonder if that's why they went with Besser, because Besser did play better, right? Like he was, as you mentioned, their best forward. And, and I agree with you. Like don't save your best shooter for number three or say, get, put your best option up there first because then you put pressure on the other team, right? Like you you want to get out in front in the shootout. So I, I just get the sense that he was playing a hunch. Besser was better. Pedersen was off. Pedersen was missing the net regularly. He did on the shootout as well. Let Besser get out there and he gives you your best chance to score early. Yeah. No, and uh, and I loved his playmaking sequence on the four-on-four. I thought that was classic Brock, and, and so was his finish. Uh, Besser's playing his best hockey after rushing back from injury to replace Bo Horvat. This is a gutsy performance from a, a much-maligned player. Uh, in a contract year, you love to see it. Besser has stepped up in a major way. Doff my cap to him. I doff my cap to him. Uh, hot topic number four. You called Pedersen ordinary tonight. I'd say worse than that. The defensive play of that line was really bad. Now, that's not all on Pedersen, but Pedersen at his best isn't just a ruthless scorer, right? He's not just the finisher. Finisher. He's this assertive two-way piece, driving play, 
you know, driving zone time. He was not that tonight. That line was outside of Brock for me, kind of a passenger line, particularly when you compare, you know, what they were doing with what you saw Connor Garland do every time he hit the ice or Pod Colson with sort of that, you know, ill intent dripping off of him or JT Miller, who I thought had a pretty sturdy two-way game again in Horvat's absence, or even the Lamico Lockwood uh, Highmore line, which I thought generated a ton of zone time and brought a ton of energy uh, to the rink. And, and actually, Lamico had a couple interesting opportunities in the third period. Um, I thought Patterson's line was probably Vancouver's most permissive defensively and their most punchless offensively, with the exception of a few moments from Besser. I thought Pedersen was worse than ordinary tonight, but that's grading on a bell curve, which is that, you know, my standards for Pedersen are through the roof, right? Like I judge Pedersen like he's a special player because he is one. And so, you know, to me, he was not even ordinary tonight. That was, that was not the game they needed for him. Yeah. I I couldn't, uh, I couldn't disagree with you. I'm not going to, if you're grading him on a bell curve, yes, he was worse than ordinary, but by regular standards, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say he was okay. He wasn't the difference maker. He still did create chances, and I'm probably being a little bit forgiving because he was noticeable offensively, uh, but, like, his shot just didn't seem close today. And, again, your assessment is based on more than that, and, you know, you've also talked about shooting percentages, and there's some that you just can't sustain. Um, but today they, they absolutely needed more from him. There's no doubt. And when you are when you are – Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, and Besser, and you don't have the other pieces around you, there just isn't a moment where you can take a night off. Like, it just, it's not allowed. You, no. you can't just, you can't have ordinary nights because there isn't enough to pick up the slack, right? I mean, you had Chase on who was playing really well. Second straight game, he doesn't play. Um, you know, those guys need to not just be noticeable, but they need to be productive. They need to finish, and they certainly can't finish minus one like Pedersen did tonight. No. Um, last one. What hurts more, Adam Gaudet scoring the game winner or <laughs> or dropping a game to a team that used a top pair of Michael Delzato and Travis Hamannick? Adam Gaudet scoring the game winner. The guy, the guy played what four? He played less than five minutes. Didn't play since the midway portion of the second period. He credited Ian Clark after the game for giving him the shootout move, and oh thought that Demko would have overplayed it more because of how much he did it in practice. He was surprised he didn't cheat to that move more. Um, and if you saw Adam Gadet's reaction after the game, you'll you'll know, you know, he loved sticking it to the Canucks. He knew what was at stake for them. And he loves sticking it to the Canucks. I think Hamannick even got an assist in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, the Hamannick and Delzato were legitimately good. Yeah, they were just legitimately less shitty. <laughs> legitimately good. Stop it. Yeah, uh, they were. They played well. Yeah, whatever. And so did, they, they, so did so you did know, you're grading, you're grading that on a bell curve, too, my friend. Sure. Because you expect sure. such they garbage that when they're they not did garbage, their job. you're saying they did. Yeah, okay. They did their job, but uh, but I, you know what? I also liked Artem Zub. I liked Eric Brandstrom. I liked Nikita Zaitsev. Like I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, do I like Ottawa's blue line better than Vancouver's? And that yeah, well, we've, we've I hate we've that been I'm critical that. of Vancouver's for a while. 
So it's well, not sure, like you're but looking... then, uh, you know what? Although I do want to, I do want to note. I thought Oliver Ekman Larson was tremendous. I thought he was immense tonight. I thought he had a great. Yeah, I thought he was good. Every time, every time he had the puck, I thought he's going to do something interesting. This is going to be interesting. How about that pinch from Tyler Myers that gave up oh. the two on one the other way that Formanton should have scored on? Should have got his hat trick goal. Right? Like yeah. he, yeah, like he beat Demko. He beat Demko. He just ran out of room. Uh, like, what were you thinking in that moment to pinch there? Like, are you crazy? And I know that Myers does that stuff, but wow, in that moment, I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure they were going to score right there. Well, it's an interesting dynamic where, like, I thought when Formanton deflected that puck into the net, I felt like the you could almost feel Vancouver's luck leave them. And then all of a sudden they're generating all these chances and they're missing the net and they're just getting stoned and they're getting so unlucky. And I'm watching this go down and I'm just thinking, I think Vancouver's luck might have run out. And they are on an outrageous luck bender. I, I, I know that they're playing well, but they're also at a 109 PDO for the month going into tonight's game, right? 95% save percentage at five on five, almost 15% shooting, right? It's, I mean, of course they look like world beaters this month, right? They're, they're, they've got the wind at their back like almost nothing I've ever seen. Uh, by expected goals, their their goal differential five on five should be fourteen and fourteen. Instead, it's twenty one and eight, right? Meaning that they've been lucky six goals in each direction. Like that's massive, massive. And when Formanton deflected that goal, I thought, oh boy, I think I wonder if that's it. Like I wonder if the worm will turn and Vancouver's luck will run out. And then the two on one unfolds and Formanton hits the post, and I thought, oh, you know what? I think Vancouver's not out of luck yet <laughs> i don't think they're out of luck and then of course adam Godet scores the game winner and it's just like no you know what it's not whether or not they're lucky or unlucky it's just they're the canucks they're just the canucks the most bizarre possible outcome is the most likely because this is the canucks that's who they are that's this franchise yeah it, it did have to happen that way didn't it but you know now as as we look ahead actually are we through our five are we through our five points because as we look ahead we're through our know, five big boot- points Boudreaux said after the game that he knew there was going to be one mulligan somewhere along the way, right? And early on, I we both, knowing that 97 was the benchmark, that they did have an overtime loss in them or a shootout loss in them, and that happened tonight. So they do need to go 5-0 and now, all right? Like somebody else would have to really struggle for them to go worse than that because they still now need help from both L.A. and Vegas, right? Whereas had they won this game, they would have needed help from either one of them, right? So, yeah, so it's five and oh now. And I thought that Mulligan was going to come against Minnesota on Thursday, a big, heavy team that should be able to drive Vancouver into the ground. And I'm I'm not sure Thatcher Demko is going to steal this game, because if they're going to win on Thursday, they're going to need Thatcher Demko to steal this game. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, even though Minnesota doesn't have I mean, Minnesota People say Minnesota doesn't have a ton to play for, but man, they definitely want home ice advantage against the St. Louis Blues team that has had their number all season. Like, come on. Of course they have something to play for. Like, this does matter to them, and that's a really good team. A really good team. That might be a secretly elite team. Like, I'll be, I know the Blues have just bludgeoned them in every meeting they've had this regular season, but like, I'm going to be picking the Wild, and if they have home ice advantage, I might be picking them in five. Like, I think they're materially better even than the St. Louis Blues. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, that's a very tough game for the Canucks on Thursday. 
And I'd imagine they'll get a pretty fired up and motivated Calgary Flames team on Saturday, too. You don't think Tanev and Markstrom and, and Toffoli would love to have their own Adam Gaudette moment? Like, you don't think so? Oh, no so? question. They would, they would love it. They would love it. All right. Let's open it up. So we don't have anyone in the queue yet. But if you want to ask Farhan or I a question or just guide this conversation, uh, raise your hand and we'll begin to invite our VIPs to the stage to have their say. And naturally, we've got our first hand up. It's from Jakob. Jakob, welcome to the stage. Hey, bud. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. What do you want to talk about? Hey, uh, I, I want, first of all, for Menton tonight, man, my Lord, like he, he was skating like McDavid. Like it was something crazy. <laughs> I, I have. I have never seen something quite like that. Like he was going around everybody tonight. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't watch him too often. But my lord, man, that guy can skate fast. So yep. just, uh, just my first little comment there on the Senators. Um, and you know, honestly, the Senators are a pretty decent young team too. It's not like they lost to Arizona tonight, right? It's a pretty decent team. They have good pieces, but you know what's frustrating about this Canucks team today more than anything just in general, is because, like like you guys said, right, they have a mulligan, right? And a lot of people thought, well, will they use that mulligan at the end of the year against Edmonton? Will they use it against Minnesota Wild? And they used it against the Senators. So now, realistically, they need to go 5-0. and And, you know, I, I'm a believer, <laughs> you know? I believe, I believe, but, you know, I, I feel like today... It finally hit me, and I'm like, I don't think there's much belief left in me. So, uh, honestly, Fair I enough. hope they pull this out, but uh, that's that's basically it. Just a sad, sad day for Vancouver. So, thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> you, know, you know what, though? It, like, it's a great call, but it's, it's less about the math, in my opinion. What happened tonight is less about the math, because it's not out of the question to expect each of Vegas and L.A. to lose a game. But it is about a reminder of what this team actually is and how fine the margins actually are, right? And Demko relative to expected goals against was, again, he was fine, but, you know, not what we were used to seeing a month ago when he was playing out of his mind. They kind of need that when their shooting percentages aren't off the charts. Um, they're not deep. The fact that they've been able to withstand the loss of Horvat and Pearson makes you think, oh, that's a good plucky group, those Vancouver Canucks. You don't look at them, hey. But then you you look at it deeply and you realize that, yeah, look at them, right? And it a game like this just reminds you who they are, what the roster is, and and that's the that's the hard part. It's less about the math tonight. Yeah, I, I mean, the math was daunting before; it's daunting now. They probably always had a point that they could drop at some point. You would have rather dropped it against Minnesota or Calgary or maybe Edmonton at the end of the season. Uh, just this later. was not just ideal. Later. This was, yeah, just later. This was not ideal. But, you know, they're, they're still in it. Their odds are still long. They were going to be long even if they'd won tonight because of what happened in Nashville and in um, Anaheim, LA. in Orange County. So, you know, because of what happened elsewhere today, their odds were always going to be long regardless of the result. Their odds are still long, and the math still sucks. It's always sucked. 
they were always a super long shot to make it. Um, but they've put themselves in this position. Tip, tip, of the, tip of your cap. They've kept it exciting. And, you know, the atmosphere at Rogers Arena, the feel of that game, the way that, uh, you know, I personally was scoreboard watching the Flames-Predators game in the first intermission and watching and checking in at commercial breaks on the L.A. Um, Anaheim game. Like, that's fun. That's fun. Hey, by the way, I know I work for them, so I probably shouldn't twist the knife too hard. But don't you feel like the rights holder should have shown us the shootout? Like, it happened during the first intermission. Like, why did we not watch parts of the overtime between Calgary and Nashville during the intermission of the, uh, of the first period intermission far on. Like, don't you, do, I, I would love the experience of like, there's all these games going on that have relevance in this playoff race and let's track it all during the broadcast. I feel like that would be a good showcase for the league. I feel like the other leagues do stuff like that. Maybe a little bit more. I would have enjoyed that particularly, uh, particularly given that it's a rights holder broadcast. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough for me to be critical. Um, just working for the competition, right? Like that, that's hard because I, I generally have felt they have underserved the market with their coverage, right? Uh, of this team from a pregame and postgame uh, standpoint. I think they got great people, you know, like Murph and, and, and others. And I, I, and, I and genuinely me. feel and me, bud, come on. I'm not pumping your tires. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and iMac and Sat and, right. Um, yeah. I, you know, How dare I just, you? Yeah, no, I know. I just feel like they've, yeah, I just feel like they've underserved generally. So, um, and and that's been my opinion for a while, right? So okay, let's move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. So I want I, I, wanna... I can't go deeper than that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to come back to the uh, my, uh, the uh, Formanton comment really quickly. The Formanton comment is the... Or the guy Formanton reminds me of, Farhan, is young Ryan Kessler. He's, he's, a really? little bit sh- he's a little bit shorter stature-wise. But do you remember young Kessler 
where he, like, young Kessler was Yannick Hansen before Yannick Hansen was Yannick Hansen. Like, he was the, like, three breakaways a game guy who never scored. Do you remember that yeah. version oh. of Ryan Kessler? Yep. That's who Alex Formanton is, except this year he's finally begun to translate some of that offense into meaningful, uh, or some of those chances into meaningful offense. I'd add, too, that, like, Josh Norris looks like a killer now. His shot on the power play is lethal. Um, you know, Drake Batherson looks like he's leveled up. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that I really like in, in that auto, like that young Ottawa core. All of them look like they're taking steps. So yeah, I mean, they're still a mess, but maybe, maybe there's brighter days ahead. Also, there's a raging debate about Pod Colson and Michael Bunting in the chat room. And you know, I can't resist the Leafs topic, Farhan. So I just want to say this. Michael Bunting is a top five scorer in the NHL at five on five this year. How crazy is that? Now, he's not driving it by any means, but he is the guy doing the yeoman's work on the on, you know, the second best line in hockey. Right. The the, the best line in hockey is in Calgary. The second best line in hockey is in, in Toronto. And he's the guy doing the yeoman's work on the highest scoring five on five line in the sport. The reason Calgary's line is better is that they drive better goal differential. Kachuk is the heavy press on that line. He's obviously the best at it in the league. But Bunting's, you know, a pretty high-end version of that player type. Uh, Can we stop stop talking about the Leafs? Can we stop? We will. We will in two seconds at about 800K. He definitely does not, however, have the ceiling of a Vasily Podkolzin. Like, make no mistake. Vasily Podkolzin, if he hits to his max potential, will will be a better version of that player, in my opinion. All right. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to settle the bunting debate for my, uh, for my, um, sorry, for all the people asking. There was lots of people asking, right? No? Yeah, but it's because you brought up bunting earlier. Yeah, but just as an example of like a guy, like a hymen, or I mean, I gave lots of examples. All right. Uh, We've got another question (laughs) here from, from Keshav G. Keshav, I hope I pronounced your name right. Excuse me if I didn't. Welcome to the stage. What do you want to talk about? Um, I'm a Sens fan, so uh, kudos to the coverage. I think it's going to be very interesting with the new ownership situation. I just mm. have one question. Do you think players are starting to take runs at Stutzla, like, after the Gallagher stuff? Because, like, we were all, like, in Sens Twitter up in rage after that Dermot hit. And, like, I don't know what's going on there. Like, But also, I'm just interested, like, what do you think, like, Besser's situation is? And do you think a team with, like, Ottawa that has connections to North Dakota would be interested in taking a run at him in the offseason? Love it. Thank you so much, Keshev, for joining us. Um, always glad to have a question from enemy territory. Uh, the Dermot, the Dermot hit on uh, on Stutzlow barely registered for me, Farhan. Did it register for you? Uh, not really. I mean, not in terms of that, you know, taking shots at him. And you're right. I mean, he's turned into a dynamic uh, goal scorer this year. People can see that ceiling in him, but I don't know that teams are necessarily taking runs at him. As for Brock Besser, you know, I, I think there'd be a list of teams that want to make a run at him, but at what cost, right? I mean, we understand totally. the, the complications of that contract. And the bottom line is the warts that we see here, and I know you're a big Besser guy. Um, I still see way too much inconsistency in his game for what he's about to make. And, it, like, I, I would worry about that level of investment uh, in a player like Brock Besser. And I think everybody else is going to see those those same warts, given the complications of the contract, if there was clarity around it, and then you could tie it to a specific value based on that clarity, I think you'd get a bigger market. But right now, I would want to stay the hell away from that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good opportunity for a team if they think they want to pay him um, and they believe that he can be an answer for them, you know, on the other side of Norris um, on the flanks on the power play. And, you know, maybe a trigger man for a guy like a Stutzla, considering this, the success he's had with, you know, a similar player type, albeit a higher end version in, in Pedersen. Um, you know, I can see that fit, but I, you know, and I mean, it's my, it's potentially a good opportunity to buy, you know, a really talented 25 year old, 24 year old player um, while his value is distressed, right? I mean, can you get him for, you know, lower, like a lower cost than a similar player type in a different type or a more, or more straightforward contract situation? I think if you're Ottawa, that's definitely something worth exploring. And this is um, the organization that took on Travis Hamannick without giving anything. Well, without ex- like, except the the Besser would be an interesting buy low. Travis Hamannick was just a baffling move from an organization that just beat the Canucks was. with Hamannick and and Delzato uh, playing top pair minutes. So I guess I won't go on too long. Well, I won't dwell on this topic. Uh, regarding Stutzla, though, I want to know one other thing. Uh, Dermot going after a guy with a hit that, you know, didn't even stand out to the opposition's uh, fans. Like, to me, that's not going after a guy. Um, Stutzla's arriving as a really good player, a really dangerous, dynamic presence. I loved the way that he slipped checks in his own end. He looked so much more confident with the puck tonight than he ever has in any game I've ever watched him play. Uh, But, you know, when a team starts to really target a guy is the best player on, on another team. Like it's really noticeable. Right. And, and I don't think the Canucks did that tonight. So buckle up because the NHL eats skilled players for breakfast or certainly tries to on an everyday basis. So I would assume that you're going to have a lot of frustrating moments, particularly if that one stood out to you this evening. All right. Any other questions? Usually we have a big run. Like our queue is full overflowing. Lots of people with their hands up. Um, Nothing today. We don't, we really, we're empty. So if anyone else has any other questions they want to ask, raise your hand. Otherwise, we'll just take some from the chat and, and just hang out for a little bit longer. All right, we got one from Jordan J. And everyone, just keep your hand, put your hand up, stay in the queue. I'll get to you when you, when, um, you know, when it's your turn. I'm, I'm going in sequence. All right. I'm welcoming Jordan J to the stage. Hey, Jordan, do you, you got us? Hey, guys, can you hear me? We can. What do you want to talk about, Jordan? Okay, so it might be a little odd because I think he played well today. But I know, Drancer, you've kind of touched on there's ways to get out of the OEL contract. I know he has a complete no-move clause, but what is the realistic way that we actually could get out of that in a couple of years? Because that's going to be an anchor for the next six years. All right, Jordan, thank you for the question. I'm going to mute you because otherwise I'll have to listen to my own echo. Um, I mean, the the way out is is a buyout or you know, you attempt to trade the guy and take salary back. So, I mean, you don't have a ton of options, but those those are the options. And for me, anyway, I tend to think your best bet, particularly considering how well he's worked out this season, and I thought he was really good today, um, you know, I think your best bet is going to be to try and find a young, cost-effective lefty defenseman. Maybe it's Travis Dermott, but someone who can play – you know, ideally ahead of Ekman Larson so that you can really manage his minutes carefully and, and get the best out of him late in seasons for the next couple of years. Um, the buyout thing, I don't think you consider until after next season, just based on the structure of his deal. But 
man, I'd be really reluctant to tie up that much space. The problem with bought out cap space is that you're just stuck with it. There's nothing you can do with it. You can't trade it. You can't bury it. Like there's nothing you can do. Um, that's basically true as well of a guy on an NMC who's unwilling to move, but there's still ways to navigate active situations. Once, once it's bought, once the deal's bought out, it's bought out forever. And buying out a guy with five years of term left, that's 10 years worth of, of cap complications. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer to avoid that. If I was the Canucks, I'd probably be trying to build a blue line that pushes him down to a third pair role, even though that's super cost inefficient and just know that, you know, once, once it comes playoff time, if I can manage his load and keep him fresh and maybe even rest him back to back, um, you know, he's still a really smart, classy defender who can help me win. I, I think that's their best approach overall uh, to dealing with the Ekman Larson situation, but there's no question. It's going to be a very difficult one. <laughs> it's going to be a very difficult one to navigate. There's nothing else at all. Um, well, on top of that, don't extend, it. don't extend it. You, you know what I mean? Like when you look at what's happened with the contracts they had last year, what do they do? They extended the problem. And right. yeah, don't put yourself in that situation here. Don't do what you've done with goaltenders. Don't just don't extend it. Take your medicine. Take your medicine. Yes, for sure. Um, Ryan H asks, Drance, what is Pods' ceiling? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, you know, I think it's, I, I mean, it's interesting. I think it's Pavel Busnevich. Like that's, that's what I would sort of be hoping for. I'd be hoping for uh, Pavel Busnevich with more defensive ability. Um, that, you know, I think that's a really good player. That's like a quality top line rate scorer. And then I think because he's got a bigger frame, because I think he'll be more physically assertive in his peak years, I think he can be, you know, a, a more assertive defensive piece than that. But that's sort of what I'd be looking for offensively. Pavel Busnevich, uh, but with more um, defensive pop. All right. We've got another hand up. This one's from Linus F. Linus, welcome to the stage. Do you got us? Yeah, uh, I wonder what you guys thought about uh, the Canucks' defense and the Canucks' overall uh, breaking out the puck of their own. And I thought, especially in the third, that uh, they had some trouble breaking out the puck cleanly. It was a lot of chip and chase, I thought. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Linus. Yeah, uh, punt and hunt. We call it punt and hunt around here, Linus, and I think you're right. I think the Canucks have almost perpetually struggled in that phase of the game. And that's, that was why their performance against Dallas stood out so much to me, Farhan, was that they got out of there and cleanly, and it created all sorts of opportunities, including the two-on-one that Besser and Pedersen capitalized on. I just don't think this D is built well enough to transition the puck with the type of pace and dynamism required to really key um, an off- the offensive attack and and put players like Pedersen, Besser, uh, Bo Horvat, JT Miller in the best spot to succeed. That's you know been my overwhelming criticism of this team all year, even going into the season. Like why were my expectations so much lower for this team than most? It was that I didn't think you could make the playoffs with this defense. Now Bruce Boudreau has challenged my assumptions there to some extent, but I think he's done it by not even trying to break the puck out with control at all. They've just sacrificed it entirely. They're just like, okay, we'll go fight for it in the neutral zone. And to me, that's fine. You can win like that. This team's proven they can win like that. But I don't think it 
maximizes the the talent on this roster to any means by any means. Yeah, no, I would agree. And you know, we talked about at the start of the year how the the top nine was supposed to be as good as this club has had in some time. And but ultimately, as things fell apart, it became evident that the top nine couldn't maximize its ability because they couldn't get the puck in transition in positions to attack. And that falls on the blue line. Um, so, you know, we, we know what Quinn Hughes is, but after that, you're kind of holding your breath across the board. I mean, even a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson, who's been a good puck mover at various stages of his career, isn't as consistent uh, doing that as they'd like to see. You know, that's an area where a guy like Dermott could potentially give them something because he's been good at that, in, you know, when he was in Toronto. Um but, you know, we, we've seen it with Myers, that it's it's always been a bit of a guessing game. I mean, even a guy like Brad Hunt, who has a good shot and can do some things offensively, doesn't pass the puck out of his own end well, right? So it's it's a challenge for this team. There's no doubt. The other guys they've had, Hamannick when he was here before, Pullman was better than he has been previously, but still isn't necessarily an elite passer, an elite, you know, distributor out of his own end. So, yeah, it's, it's probably the biggest flaw this blue line has is their ability to transition the puck with possession um by the way i want to note something do you remember so let's let's go through the flow of the season remember how things really went off the rails in in about mid-november yeah i wonder or like early november i wonder if you traced it like october that wasn't a complete train wreck it was like sub expectations but it wasn't train wreck territory until they went and got flattened by colorado and vegas right um, right before they left on that road trip, Travis Hamannick returned to the team, right? So they get off to this sort of 500-ish start. Travis Hamannick returns to the team. Things spiral for a, for a few weeks, right? Like four or five weeks. Uh, Hamannick gets hurt. The Boudreaux, the two games into the Boudreaux bump, right? Two games into Boudreaux's tenure, Travis Hamannick gets hurt. Team wins, wins a bunch of games. Um, Hamnick comes back and is part of the lineup that sort of duffs it on that seven game homestand right before the deadline. Then he's dealt. And since then, the team's been playing really well again. Like, I wonder, not, not based on when he's in the lineup and out of the lineup, but just around versus not around. I, I, I should go do the work and look at those splits, but I bet you it looks very distinct. Like, I bet you this team is a way better record when Hamannick was not around this season versus when he was around. And I wonder how much you read into that. Oh, yeah. Like, look, I think that there was, um, I, I think, you know, when they talk about culture and chemistry and those types of uh, important pieces around this team, yeah, I think Travis Hamannick uh, played a big part in that, in, in not necessarily in, in a positive sense, right? I, yeah, like, look, we're, we're all trying to talk around this delicately, but, when they got rid of Travis Hamannick, there was a lot of addition by subtraction. Yeah. It wasn't just that it was inefficient money. It was addition by subtraction. For sure. Um, getting some questions about whether or not the Canucks should pursue Valerie Nichushkin if he were to come available. I think the Canucks definitely would benefit from getting another Russian speaker on the team. I think Valerie Nichushkin's a tremendous player. I won't be shocked at all if the Colorado Avalanche prioritize keeping him and find a way to do so. Um, you know, one guy I sort of wonder about is Evgeny Dadanov. I think he's going to be, yeah, and maybe Vancouver's on his no trade, and we know that he's going to stick to his no trade. But 
surely Vegas would be motivated to make that type of move. And and I do wonder if the Canucks could clear cap space, if there's a couple of deals where you get a guy that could help you and then also get assets while getting a useful player back would be like one good way to jog, you know, um, this organization's need for assets overall. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm working with Dolly wall in a piece that'll drop tomorrow about uh, Kuzmenenko. Who's the big UFA. I do think the Canucks will be in the running there. Um, but I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be bidding pretty aggressively for his services. Uh, Dadnov would be an interesting one to me too. And that's the type of thing where it's like, if you could get an asset to take that contract, um, you know, you add him to your lineup, he's a good player and he's got two years. Well, he's got two years remaining. Well, I'm saying you get an additional asset. I'm saying no cost. Maybe you get rid of a, uh, of an inefficient contract that's smaller, right? Uh, because it would free up a bunch of money or, or you get, you know, a second round pick or a first round pick or a good prospect back for him too. And he's got two years left on his deal. A year from now, you eat half of it, send him along at the deadline. And now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a hundred good games from a useful player, a Russian speaker who can help one of your key young players, you know, feel more comfortable in a, in a foreign land. And you send him on, you get assets on both sides of the deal. Like that's the type of thing I'd love to see the Canucks explore. Um, I think there's some interesting avenues for that, particularly if they, you know, clear space by moving off of uh, some of their other wingers uh, that we talked about for weeks prior to the trade deadline. So, you know, just uh, just a possible option. A uh, question from Jakob, by the way. Do you think Patrick Alvin has regretted his superstar comments? Why would you? Because you've gotten the most out of Elias Pettersson since making them. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. Do you think that was part of what he was trying to do? Um, no, I'm not sure that he's that calculated. I think at that point he made the comments based on what he'd seen and he wasn't wrong. You, you know, and you know, he didn't necessarily dive into what was there the first two years of Pedersen's career in terms of watching it on a game by game basis. So yeah, for, for me, I, I don't think it was that calculated that he was trying to motivate him, but uh, you know, I think you do that because if you can, if you demonstrate that on some levels, it does allow you to control the narrative as it relates to contract negotiations, right? Like, we're not going to pay this guy this much because he's not that. Well, now he is that. You, you know what I mean? So um, I, I think the reason he did it was less because he was trying to motivate a player and more because he was just trying to say, we don't have these pieces yet. Expectations should be different, both contractually from an agent standpoint, but also from a fan base who thinks we we might be something that we're not. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to cap it at three more minutes to raise your hand. If you have another question, otherwise we're going to, we're going to call it an evening. But, um, but in the meantime, uh, let's talk about Connor Garland really quickly, considering how well he's played the last two games. We really haven't talked about him much here, Farhan, but I think he's played his best hockey over the course of the past week. To me, he's been the most dynamic, like consistently dynamic Canucks player. Uh, frankly, like Besser was their most effective offensive piece. But in terms of, you know, the level of danger, the level of threat, the key penalty that he drew early in the game that gave, you know, resulted in the Canucks taking that early lead. Like I thought Garland was sensational this evening. I think he's been really good. Do you think he's done enough that any doubts new management has might have about, you know, his size or his play style 
uh, should be assuaged? No, no, I don't. And, and I say that because I think they want to look, they just don't have loyalty. And, and I say that in a really positive light, right? Like a uh, fresh set of eyes, um, fresh set of ideas. And while we liked the addition of Garland when he came, because, you know, I, I know you talked a lot about him a lot and you felt that not only is he a top six guy, but he's a top line producer, especially if he were to get some power play time. And you're right, like the last three games for him, maybe even four games, he's been exceptional since he broke that 19-game goalless drought. Boudreau talked about it this morning that he's so tenacious, and now he's not doing the seven twirls anymore. He's doing like one spin and going straight to the net, uh, and you, you're seeing more of that, right? And, and it took him a while to kind of figure that out in terms of how it fits here. But at the end of the day, it's a $4.95 million contract that may be movable. And this new organization wants to put its own stamp on things, and there aren't necessarily a lot of movable pieces. So, you know, like I, I think it's tough to find guys that do what Garland does at his price point if he's this player, right? Like if they have seen enough here and over the next five games, and they say, okay, he's this player, and we can hit the ground running next year, which is always a dangerous thing. Um, you know, if if you're convinced that he can live up to that and play that way next year then you're in great shape. It becomes an efficient deal. And and I don't think even right now it's an inefficient deal. Like someone said to me, well, it's only a million less than Louis, but I'm thinking like it's not even close to Louis because you notice this player so much more, even when he's not producing than you ever did with Louis Erickson. Right? Also, that's such a, that's such a low bar. That's an unfairly low bar. No, it is, but they were just talking about it from a contractual standpoint. Ultimately the numbers weren't there for a period of time. So if you think that, okay, he's, he's gone through the growing pains, the change, the transition, all of it has happened, and now we're going to get a much better player next year, you, you, you could be right and you could get an efficient deal. But because of that, like the better he is over the next five games makes him that much more movable. And they can't move the defenseman, but they might be able to move Connor Garland. They might be able to move Tanner Pearson. There might be some pieces they can move to give themselves some cap flexibility and that's the biggest thing they want right now. They want this to be their team, right? Like yeah. they want it to, to be built and look the way they're comfortable with, not the way Jim Benning was comfortable with. We also both know that there's a bit of a culture issue in the room, right? Like people are going to say, well, what do you mean? Say more. Well, we can't really say more quite yet, but they, they want to change the chemistry and the culture in that room. Not suggesting for a second that Connor Garland is a culture problem. No. that. But it would allow them to potentially make some tangible moves if they can shed the salary and and fix some of these other issues that they've got. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's be clear. I've never heard anything but uh, glowing things about Garland generally. Right. Just like low maintenance. Yeah. yeah, Super professional. I I, I was not trying to be at all. all No, I know. I just wanted to I just wanted to overcorrect. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, we've got one hand raised. It's Corey B. This will be our last question of the night. Corey, welcome to the stage. You got us? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, man. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Awesome. couple things. Uh, one, it's, uh, even if the Canucks fall short, it's been nice to you know be in the mix a little bit, especially like combining last year and the first quarter of this year. It was about 82 games of, of misery. Um, so anyways, and then um, looking forward to your piece, Strance, on the eventual uh, chemistry, like Jim Benning era, all the the drama. Looking forward to that one day. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I don't know if it's a question, but more of like a, um, did Jim Benning make mistakes with the bridge deals? 
you know, you look around the league, like Tampa, they have their bridge deal system. And then you go around the league, like line a had a bridge deal and that's sort of, he hasn't gotten a long-term contract after that. Um, Barzal, Kachuk or whatever. But like, I know the Canucks have always had a bad cap situation, but like if Jim Benning could have done, you know, a nice long-term deal with Besser and, and Pedersen and whatnot, probably would have been, I know it's super complicated, but it probably would have been, been better. All right. Thanks, gents. Yep. Thanks, Corey. Um, yeah, I think the bridge deals that the Canucks did were a problem generally, right? Like, I think it cost them Ben Hutton. I think it cost them Troy Stetcher. Um, you know, I think the Brock situation is unique because, you know, like the Brock, the Brock bridge deal was signed the same year that Braden Point's current bridge deal was signed. Now, Braden Point's already been extended for a contract that carries a $9.5 million cap hit. And Braden Point's, um, you know, QO this year would have been $9 million. Well, no one bats an eyelash at paying $9 million for Braden Point, right? Braden Point's like, was a contender for the con Smythe the last two years, right? He's a bona fide first-line centerman who, you know, scores at a ridiculous rate. I mean, he's got 55 points this season. He was point per game basically the last two years. He was 92 points, 40 goals the year before that. And he has... 56 points in the playoffs across 46 games plus two Stanley Cups. Not too shabby. So no one no one bats an eyelash about paying nine million for that. The problem with the Besser QO, or the problem with the Besser QO, yeah, is that no one thinks that he should be paid a top 40 clip for an NHL forward, right? It's it's just too rich for everyone's blood, which restrains his value. Like Brayden Point, even if he didn't have that extension. If you were trying to pl- trade Braden Point, literally no one would be like, oh, I don't know about that $9 million QO. People would be like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. We have Braden Point on our team now. We'll pay full price to do that. So that's that's sort of where they run into issues. Now, I do think the Pedersen Bridge is going to age very poorly. That's got an, 11 million, that's got an $11 million QO, but I think Pedersen's going to be in the Braden Point camp. Um, and, you know, I think if there's... One other thing that we'll look back on and, and think was a little bit wasteful about this past offseason, and let's be honest, there's a long list of things that I think we'll be looking at and thinking that was pretty wasteful, like the logic of doing a bridge deal with a player like Elias Pettersson, right, requires that you use those savings to build a contending team around them, right? I mean, think about, again, the logic of the Braden Point Bridge. They won two Stanley Cups in the first two years of those of that deal. And they're well poised to go on another deep playoff run. Although I don't think they're going to get there because I think they made a mistake in terms of calibrating their team speed. And I just don't think they're fast enough to skate with the Florida's and the Toronto's in that division anymore. But that doesn't change the fact that Tampa Bay's uh, at, you know, true talent, a top five team or a top six team this year too. That's how you do a bridge deal, right? Like, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, when they did Nikita Kucherov's bridge deal, the very last year of that deal, they were the best regular season team we'd ever seen. The, you know, last year of Andre Vasilevsky's bridge deal, they won the cup. Like, that's the model. When you talk about the Tampa Bay model, what you're really talking about is using the bridge deal device to net savings with young players that permit you to build a contending team around them. The Canucks have bridged Pedersen artificially restraining his cap hit and 
what are they going to get out of that? They're not going to make the playoffs in year one. So you would have been probably better off. Like if you don't net, if you don't net surplus value to your team from keeping his cap hit low for a couple of years, then all you've really done is, well, you've done nothing. You've kind of just kicked the can down the road. You've traded empty calorie wins and points this season for the type of solid foundation that can get you closer to winning in a more meaningful way when your team is prepared to do so and good enough to do so. And if this organization doesn't fundamentally change the way they think about these things, if they don't begin to horse trade a little bit more aggressively, if they don't begin to look toward two, three years down the line, if it's always about next year and it's not about building something durable and sustainable, well, they're never going to get there. And I, I just think the Pedersen deals another one of those canary, like bad process canary in the coal mines that, you know, drive me nuts. Like they that's the type of stuff that gets me yelling on the radio. Well, and, he, uh, he, come on, they're gone now. New management team. Yeah. So, uh, but he, I, he I'm saying, a chance to, no, no, I'm not a chance to not get it wrong. No, I'm not. It's not about not giving them a chance. It's that one of their first tasks is reorienting the very way that this organization thinks about winning in this league. And we'll see how they do in their first full off season of work. All right. That's going to do it for us at the VanCast. Thank you to the VIPs for joining us. We're so appreciative as always, uh, you know, the response, the questions, the Michael Bunting conversation. I mean, my <laughs> goodness, it's a memorable evening. Um, and it was a memorable game for the Canucks. It, they lost, but the atmosphere at Rogers arena looked incredible. And honestly, the drama, the Goddard goal, uh, there was an awful lot to like. And there's been an awful lot to like about the way that this team has played over the course of the past month. It's been fun, if nothing else, Farhan. It has been five games to go. Must win. It goes Thursday in Minnesota. And we will have another one of these post-game live room editions of the VanCast following that game. Again, on Thursday, the Canucks against the Wild. Uh, also, we'd like to thank all of you for listening to this episode. And all of our live rooms, all of our regular VanCast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review. Right now, you can also get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash thevancast. And if you're looking for other pod options, Dave Thompson of the Buffalo Sabres joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentili of the Athletic Hockey Show USA on Tuesday. And you've also got former NHL referee Tim Peel, who is Michael Russo's guest this week on Straight for the, from the Source. So lots of podcast options available for you. And... Let's see if the Canucks can pull off a miracle on Thursday, and it'll be a, a much more enjoyable version of this. Everybody, you know, it, you've been great. The questions have been good. And um, I, I know there's a lot of pissed off people that they gave up this point, but you never know. Maybe they'll surprise you on Thursday. I, I mean, we'll see. They uh, they may. <laughs> I mean, this team has done nothing but surprise me uh, since, well, sometime in early December, Farhan. All right, be well, everybody. Good night.